that's that. Good morning, and uh, this is now the introduction. That was the story. That's like the prologue, and uh, here's the introduction. Uh, isn't it great last week, those of you who are with us, Lauren, who is our guest from Cambridge, who spoke, what a great job, and she did so much of what I've just told you, didn't she? She shared her personal story, warts and all, pain as well, and she did such a fabulous job just unpacking um, how she had journeyed that pain, how she'd spent lots of time just crying before the Lord, coming before Him, and praying and praying and praying and crying and crying and crying. And uh, on a similar note, I want to wholeheartedly recommend a book to you, not that I've read it yet, which is a bit dangerous, right? You're supposed to have read something before you recommend something. I've got a good feeling about it, though. Um, there's a friend of ours, and some of you will know of a man called Alan Emerson. He is a uh, a wonderful man who loves Jesus and uh, loves the church of Jesus and uh, leads uh, Pastors Emmanuel Church in Lurgan. And uh, he's just written a book. It's just come out. And there's a video that, that's been filmed and recorded. It's about six or seven minutes long. And it just highlights kind of the, the story behind why he chose to write the book out of his own pain. He sadly lost his wife to a brain tumor uh, early on in their marriage, isn't that right? She was only 23. This is years ago now. He's since remarried and has a family uh, of his own. But just an incredibly brave and courageous man telling his story. And he's written this whole book all about journeying pain. And uh, the standout line, this is why I'm saying this, the standout line from the video, and I'm sure he unpacks it in a really big way in his book, is this. If our pain is not transformed, it's transmitted. It simply means this, that we all encounter pain in our lives, deep inner pain. And unless we invite the healer, the wounded healer, to come and to heal the pain and transform the pain, we will transmit it, meaning it will come out and it will spill out and it will usually spill out over the people that we love the most. And I'm saying these things not to make you feel, oh, it's just to encourage you. Encourage you and to give you courage to face it. To face it with friends, to go together, but to go before the cross of Jesus and invite him to cover and to heal and restore and bind up the broken hearted. Goodness, if we had a physical condition and we knew if we could take a pill, it would alleviate it. Or if we did some physiotherapy and make the, the muscle work better, boy, we would do it, wouldn't we? We must attend to our inner pain. And if nothing else, may we be a church that champions emotional health and well-being. That's the introduction. We better hurry up. Thank you, dear. Two weeks ago, uh, we were continuing our journey, our teaching on healing, and we talked uh, from Mark's Gospel. It was a whistle-stop tour of a few uh, passages from Mark's Gospel. And we stated that Jesus ruled over evil spirits, 
over sickness, over sin, over nature, and over death. And we looked at various stories where Jesus demonstrated the kingdom through words, through works, and through wonders. And we also said that he was about modeling. All the time, Jesus was doing these things and saying these things. He was modeling something to those around him. And the reason he was modeling this is because he was teaching and he was training his disciples to do likewise. And the same is true today. That all the time, he was modeling, we're modeling, trying to teach, trying to train others to do the Jesus stuff. And so this week, our topic this morning is the secret of success in Jesus' ministry. Say that again. We're going to look at the secret of Jesus' success in this ministry. And the reason I'm saying that and using those words is I'm being provocative, deliberately so. Because if we just think, oh, what was the secret? What was the kind of inside track to Jesus? Maybe we could just do it just like that. And we talk about technique and we talk about method towards healing. We are on to failure because that's not what it's about. It certainly is not about formula and method. I began learning how to pray for other people by the laying on of hands and partnering with God in that way when I was about 17 or 18. I'd become a Christian when I was 16, and it took me quite a bit of a while to sort of journey some of my stuff myself. And uh, as I continued to press into relationship with Jesus, he started cleaning me up from the inside out. No one told me I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that or you should do this and you should do that. I just found as I loved Jesus more, as I fell in love with him and I encountered the presence of the Holy Spirit, my whole life just began to change. And I remember, I think I was about 18, going on a a weekend away with a group of teenagers. And I was going as a leader. I was only 18, but I was one of the leaders. And Mike, my my friend and my pastor, came, mate, come along and just be part of the team. And it would be like this. We would have done worship. And then Mike probably would have taught something. He would have would have spoken and then at the end he would have invited people for prayer and we would have prayed for people and we'd call that ministry and I remember all these people these young kids 13 14 15 years of age standing up and there were loads of them were just really hungry for Jesus and um, and then we'd have a number of other folks they were called the ministry team and the ministry team would go and they would just go and stand alongside and pray for them and I, I, I was like a fish no out of water no Yes, that is the phrase, yeah. Yeah, I was out of my depth. Is that right? Fish, depth, water. There's probably two phrases, just hurry up. So (laughs) I didn't really know what I was doing, a bit like now. (laughs) (laughs) So so I'm in that place, and all these people need prayer, and I'm standing on the sidelines thinking, well, I haven't got a flipping clue. I don't know what I'm doing. And Mike's going, go on, mate, go on, mate, go on. Look, that person over there, go and stand with that person there. Go for it. I'm like, no, mate, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. And uh, so I've anyway, I did what I was told. And I went and stood. And this is how I began to learn, is I just watched what other people were doing. And I just stood there and I put my hands and they seemed to be praying with their eyes open. I was like, oh, my God, oh, right, that's interesting. I thought you meant to pray with your eyes closed. But and that, so that's what, how I began to learn. And I did, I had a go at it, and I kind of prayed my best prayers. I tried not to say anything, anything stupid or really mess them up and try and, you know, just bless them, encourage them. And that's how I began the journey. And it was only with time, and it was only with 
help from other people that were more experienced, that I learned how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit and really engage with what the Holy Spirit was doing. And that really took the pressure off me having to come up with the tricks. And again, I'm using that word provocatively. It takes the pressure off. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only act out of what I hear him saying, out of him whispering. Over the years, I have seen some bizarre practice when it comes to praying for people. I was in Russia once upon a time. And uh, the minister, who's ex-KGB, no joke, he was the pastor. And he was the holy man of God that did the praying. No one else, just he was the man. And the people that wanted prayer, they would have come forwards, and he would have given it stacks. Like he was shalabala, bilabala, giving it lots of like power going on there. And I'm not joking. Like this is true. I'm not like hamming this up for a good sermon illustration. This is true. He would have these burly Russian dudes. They were the catchers. No joke. And so these fellas would stand kind of in this adopted position, while he was given it stacks like this. And then after a while, when he ran out of his shalabalas, he just gave it a good old push. <laughs> and that was them slain in the spirit, again using a provocative term. That's enough to put anyone off. I don't know about you, right? I've seen that. I've seen other stuff and I could use more of it. Ask me afterwards and I'll tell you some more. The reason I'm telling you this is it's technique, it's method. And they're not good techniques and they're, good, they're not good methods. And that's not what this is about. How Jesus modeled to his disciples and how he models to us is it's about encounter and oneness with the Father through the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our model and he modeled the kingdom. He did what he said and was who he was through the indwelling presence of his Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at some examples in a moment. But before we do, it's important to remind ourselves that he's inviting us to partner with him. And the more that we respond to his invitation, the more that we respond to the promptings, that's a real Christian word, isn't it? Uh, nudges, that's a probably a better word, of the Holy Spirit begins to uh, let us see and let us hear what God's up to. The more that we become obedient to those nudgings, we begin to minister and we begin to release the kingdom of heaven through our words, through our works, uh, sorry, through, through words, works and wonders which are his through us. We looked uh, a couple of weeks ago from Mark's gospel. Mark, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the synoptic gospels. And there's lots of very, uh, there's lots of close parallels between the three gospels. John's gospel is written very, very differently. And John, he had the inside track. He was one of Jesus' closest uh, disciples. And instead of uh, coming at it about the coming of the kingdom, John's portrayal of Jesus' life, he just gave a brilliant, brilliant illustration. He wrote in such a way that it helped us, the reader, understand better 
the unique relationship Jesus the Son has with the Father and Jesus the Son has with the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not yet a Christian or you are a Christian and for years you've tried to get your head around the Trinity, the Trinity means Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you're like, I just don't get that God thing and how the three are one and all the rest, read John's Gospel, especially chapter 14, especially chapter 16. They will really help begin to understand the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Nonetheless, we're in John 5, and uh, we are 17 to 20. Jesus says to them, My Father is always at work to this very day. I too am am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Jesus gave this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Just ponder that one. The Son can do nothing by himself on his own. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him, shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. Then later in verse 30, Jesus uh, says it a second time. He says, by myself, on my own, I can do nothing. And he goes on. Jesus has this moment-by-moment consciousness, this relational oneness, this unique relational oneness with God the Father dwelling in him. Jesus didn't wake up someday and go, oh, I must be the Messiah. You know, at some point, oh, it's just dawned on me. I, I, I flipped me. Who'd have known? I, I, I knew I was pretty special, but uh, oh, it could be me. It, it was never like that. He knew from an early age. And we don't know much about Jesus' earlier years. We don't know lots about it. One thing we do know, one insight is when he was 12 years of age and they've gone to Jerusalem, they've gone for a special festival, they've gone as a family and, um, and uh, Mary and Joseph leave him behind. <laughs> That's good parenting. And, um, and they're like, Flip, where's he gone? Where's he gone? And they go back and they find him. Many of you know the story. And his words in some ways are a bit indignant for a 12-year-old, but... Um, anyway, um, and he's like, did you not know, did you not realize I'd be in my father's house, the temple, that's where he was at that young age, and we just get a glimpse, a snapshot of the unique relational contact, the relationship that Jesus has with the father. We learn this throughout his years and into Jesus' ministry, his utter dependency relational oneness Jesus has often he re- he retreats to the lonely places to see to get away from the crowds and be with his father so that Jesus can see what the father is doing that he can hear what the father is saying that he can feel what the father was feeling 
and then act in response appropriately to the next thing. Question. Was Jesus' oneness with the Father due to his divinity? Or was it due to his human efforts through spiritual discipline? It was neither. It was the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. This is where we begin to kind of unpack this unique relationship between the three. Jesus was baptized and we see at that moment the Holy Spirit come upon him. And time and time and time again, we see this connection. Now Jesus responded and acted uh, through oneness with the Father, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a couple of stories now of how Jesus responded to promptings or nudges of what the Holy Spirit was revealing to Jesus, the Son of God, who was human and as man. And before we do, I want to highlight these videos. We've taken these videos. Those of you who use the church app, and if you don't, I'd wholeheartedly, what is it called? The Bible app, the church app, sorry. The Bible app on your phones, you version it's called. Many of you will have it, I'm sure. But on there, there's a feature called videos. And I'm telling you, especially parents, to show your children this. There are a number of different um, Gospels and other bits of the Bible which you can access where they've recorded the entire Bible. So we're going to look at two stories straight from this, hopefully, um, that, that um, illustrate that. The first one is the calling of Nathaniel, who's one of Jesus' disciples, hopefully. Go.
That's good, isn't it? Doesn't it freak you out? That's Desmond from Lost. Those of you who remember watching Lost? It is, yeah. Wow, I, th- I thought the same. Um, we, we, we looked at the story uh, when we did the whole series on encounters with Jesus, and we, we talked, didn't we, about unlocking this mystery behind the story, that there was something significant about the reference to the fig tree. It was significant in, uh, is in the whole of Israel as a sign of the nation, that a place of prayer was under the fig tree, especially for young rabbinic um, students, people who are learning uh, under a rabbi. And it was said in those times that, uh, that if you're praying, y- first century uh, teaching would have been that you would have been praying for the coming Messiah. But the key that I want to make from this is Jesus saw Nathaniel. He saw him. He noticed him. And here's the thing. I think I I know that often in my normal waking day, going about my day, there are times when Jesus lets me see. Now, what do I mean? I mean this. There are openings. There are promptings. There are set-up times when God the Father is at work somewhere with someone and then suddenly in that moment I'm invited into the story of what the father is already doing and he allows me to see and it's at that moment where we can go right no thanks and move on or we can begin to just partner in that oneness in that relationship communing with the Holy Spirit and we begin to act upon what we see God is already doing. Jesus sees Nathaniel and discerns this is a true Israelite. He's going to be one of my guys who I'm going to call to come follow me. Here's another story, second and last story, another video. And this is, uh, this is of healing.
it's amazing, isn't it? I don't know about you, I just love that. Why did Jesus go there? Why did he go to that place where the sick were? Why did he go to that one man when there were so many in need there? We assume the Father was at work. The Father was prompting him. And again, we can assume he saw him. It says there he'd already learnt that he'd been unwell for 38 years. But he asked him this question, do you want to get well? And we've said that before, haven't we? That is a good question. Because many of us, we live with our stuff. We live with our limp. And we live with uh, broken hearts. We live with the pain and we it just becomes part of who we are and our identity. And Jesus asks a profound question, do you want to get well? It's a good question. I do want to get well, but there's no one here to help me get into the water when the water's stirred. Jesus speaks a command. talked about technique, talked about methodology. That's not what it's about. It was about seeing what the Father was doing and inviting the Holy Spirit and being obedient. And in that moment, that seemed like the right thing to do. That seemed to be the thing that unlocked 38 years of pain. And he commands and he speaks the words, get up. Stand up, get your mat and walk. And the miracle begins as the man begins to exercise his own faith, as he begins to move himself. Power returns to those limbs. Life returns. Jesus worked with the Father in seeing, in hearing, in speaking, in doing, and in creating. It's about source and it's about means. It's not about method, and it's not about technique. Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, says this to his disciples. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Let us stand.